Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Hi, this is Olaomi and welcome, welcome to the podcast. I want to say thank you for being a part of this podcast, for listening to today's episode and other episodes. And if this is your first episode that you're listening to, I want to warmly welcome you and also to encourage you to share the podcast with friends, with family. If you know of someone in particular that needs to hear some of the things that you've heard and have helped you, then please share, then please share. And also, if you haven't left us a review or a rating, um, please take a minute to do so because that is actually how we get found and other people get to know about the podcast. It is by your ratings and your reviews. Um, so thank you very much for that. So going on to what I'm going to be talking about today, I want to ask a question. So I want to start off by asking a very simple question this morning or today, and it is this, you know, Jesus was wildly successful, right? I mean, he achieved mind blowing success. He went everywhere and he dominated in the environment, the wind, the waves, healings everywhere, um, providing food to feed at least 5,000 people. So he was very successful. But have you actually ever asked yourself why Jesus was so successful? Or did you simply assume that because he was God, because he was a son of God, that his success was inevitable? or guaranteed regardless of how he conducted himself. I mean, think about it. Why was Jesus successful? Because if we can answer that question, then it means that we can glean from his success. We can basically replicate it. And we know that Jesus actually said that by what he made a statement. He said, for those coming after him, greater works will you do as well. So he basically was saying that his success was not privileged. It wasn't something that, okay, because I'm Jesus, I can be successful like this. It wasn't a privilege. It was basically as a result or a sum total of the way he thought, the words he spoke, his decisions, his choices, and the actions that he took while he lived here on earth. So what I'm going to be sharing today are 10 powerful principles from Jesus's journey right? Success principles from his mind blowing life so that you too can easily replicate a supernatural level of success in your life. That is what I'm going to be sharing. So by studying the life of Jesus, and as I always say, it's not an exhaustive list. Someone will go in there, probably will extract maybe a thousand success principles. Uh, but for the sake of number, these are the 10 that I have seen in the life of Jesus that contributed to him being um, phenomenally successful. 
And if we can basically look at these principles, look at the ones that you're already doing, give yourself a pat on the back and say, yes, I'm on the right track and keep going. And some of the things that you may be lacking in, you might make, you know, set a goal and say, I'm going to work towards applying this success principle in my life so that I too can be as successful as Jesus was because it is not out of our reach. He said, greater works, right? He said, greater works will we do. That means he literally has opened the door for us to be at least as successful as he was. All right. So I'm just going to jump in, jump in. And I have my 10 success principles, very powerful that I'm sure will help you. So the first one is this, Jesus lived his life by a predetermined blueprint. What do I mean by that? He lived his life by a predetermined blueprint. Jesus was not the kind of person that woke up in the morning and said, okay, eh, any boys, so (laughs) what are we doing today? You know, that kind of fly by the seat of your pants kind of, okay, as the wind blows, we're just no plan, nothing. He, you know, it was very clear that from the moment Jesus was born, right, that there was a plan for his life. If you read, I think it's a Matthew account or the Luke account, particularly the Matthew account, it would always refer to the events in Jesus's life from the moment he was born as, as it is written or as it was written, right? There was something, there was a plan. It was clear that there was a hand, an invisible hand, the hand of God that was shaping the affairs of his life. So it wasn't like, you know, he was basically just doing things as he felt. He wasn't being led by his emotions. He understood that there was a blueprint And that was how he lived his life. He didn't live his life anyhow. He lived his life on purpose, intentionally, intentionally. And I want to read John chapter five. So because Jesus made it very clear here, he showed us that this is how to actually live. This is the kind of approach that we should take towards life. And why, before I read the scripture, why do you think there's all this talk about purpose? Uh, People wanting to know their purpose. They want to know what they've been created for. Because when you find your purpose and you begin to walk in it, you are literally walking in the center of who God created it to be. It's It's called, some people call it your zone of genius. Your zone of genius. Wherever, it just looks as if doors are opening. Do you understand? You've entered into something. You may have been toiling before and everything just felt like a grind. But then you enter into your zone of genius, quote unquote, your purpose for God's purpose for your life. And life becomes meaningful. You know, fulfillment takes another level, right? In the way you approach life. And that was one of the most important or powerful secrets behind Jesus's success. He didn't just do things anyhow. He understood, first of all, that there was a blueprint. Before I even came to this earth, there was something that God had written about me. And he always sought um, that blueprint and he followed that blueprint. So John 5, 19 to 20 says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The son, referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll be truly 
astonished. So Jesus lived his life based on the fact that there is something that had been written about me before I came to this earth. And he always took time to seek God for that plan. He didn't, he basically lived his life like my life is not my own. My life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. And he sent me here to fulfill a particular purpose. It is so easy for someone to live 70, 80, 90 years, even 100 years on this earth and never ever enter into the purpose or the will of God for their lives because they are always chasing their own plans. They never take a moment or stop to say, why did God even create me? Why did he put me here? Because you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Somebody created you. God, and then he put you on this earth for a reason. That's one of the most powerful secrets behind Jesus's success. So he basically sought God. He would take time to seek God for the blueprint. He searched the scriptures. The Bible talks about how when he launched, when he basically launched his ministry, he was in a synagogue and he opened to the book of Isaiah and he read from that part of the Bible, um, beautiful ashes and all that. And he said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. So he was basically saying, I have found my purpose in the word of God. So he searched. It wasn't handed to him. Angels didn't like walk with him and every step of the way, angels would come and whisper and say, this is what, no, the Bible makes it clear that he searched the word of God. He searched the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit who was unveiling to him who he was. And the way, the only way you can really truly access the plan of God for your life for each season is through prayer. It's through prayer right? By fellowshipping, by communing with God. So what it means is if you're not a prayerful person, or if you go long seasons in your life without actually engaging in prayer, not the God, give me, give me, give me, give me kind of prayer, right? That's important. Prayer supplication is important, but the prayer where you are just fellowshipping with God, you're just spending time in his presence because it is in those times that he's exchanging your, his thoughts for yours. So he's taking any ideas you may have about your life that are not in alignment and he's putting his own thoughts, his desires in your heart, right? So those times of fellowshipping and communion and praise and worshiping and searching the scriptures, that is when God begins to put his desires in, in, in us. So if, if I go long periods of time without praying, it is not, I mean, I think by now we should come to the point where just remove all guilt. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. I've not been praying. I just feel so guilty. No, that's not the point. That's besides the point. You don't even want to play with guilt. Forget about guilt. What you should be saying is I've not been praying. That means I'm very much susceptible to operating by my brain and not by the spirit. That is what we really should be concerned about. When we are going long periods of time without praying, it is not about the fact that, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. I'm a Christian. Forget that. It has God is not looking at you and saying, hey, and, and then you come and ask me. <laughs> it's not like that. All right. He's just saying, pray so that I can exchange my thoughts for yours. I can show you what my plan is for this season of your life. And when you see the blueprint, like Jesus, Jesus said, I see the father doing something. And then I literally copy what I, what I've seen the father do. And then the doors begin to open. Like, you know, if I can use that word, like magic, all right. By themselves, the doors are open. 
But that cannot happen if you are not going back to the one who created you and allowing him to instill his own thoughts and ideas in your heart. So if you're not praying, it shouldn't be like, oh, I feel guilty. I'm not praying. It should, the concern should be, ah, if I go long periods and I'm not allowing God to put his thoughts in my heart through the communion, it means that I'm actually operating from the place of the flesh or the flesh basically means by operating by the standards of this world, not by the standards of heaven. So that was one of the most powerful secrets behind Jesus's success. He took time out to find out the blueprint of God for his life, for his life. And whatever the father showed him, he literally just copied it, did it and doors opened. And that is how you're going to escape hustle which I, you know, <laughs> I hate that word. I say you have to hustle, hustle, hustle. No, you don't have to hustle because toil came from the curse. It was a curse. God cursed as a result of the sin said, you know, cursed the ground for Adam's sake because of sin. So we're not supposed to toil and by the sweat of your face, you will eat. That was a curse. The, the, the better way is I seek God. I you know, I put him first. I find out what the blueprint for my life for each season is. And I literally follow that blueprint. That was the first one. So the second secret, the second success principle or secrets to Jesus's mind blowing, uh, success was number two. He was not resistant to change or to correction. He was flexible. He was malleable. Malleable means to, you know, you're soft enough for in somebody's hands to be able to turn you. Jesus was not rigid. He was not rigid. He was probably the most flexible person we will ever know. Why do I say that? Think about it. At age 12, as a result of what I said in the first one, he had been searching the scriptures. So he discovered that, ah, this is who I am. Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm my, God is my father. I'm the son of God. And I'm, I've come to come and deliver the oppressed and everything. And he basically went to the, to the temple and sat there. I said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. But he didn't have full revelation at that point in time. Because if he was li- really supposed to stay in the temple from age 12, which is not unheard of, Samuel from a baby was put in the temple, right? The same thing with Daniel. Daniel was a teenager. I don't know exactly. So people say between 13 and 16 when he was put, you know, to go and serve. So it wasn't like he was too young. I've just given two examples to say that he was too young, but it wasn't yet his season. But at that, even at that age, right? When his mother came and said, no, you have to come back home with me. He was not resistant to change. He was able to say, oh, okay, clearly I don't yet have all the details. I only know in part. So I need to keep going until the time when I have come into the fullness of what God will have me do. So at age 12, he demonstrated that. He also demonstrated that by hanging out with all sorts of people, he was not rigid. The Pharisees were extremely rigid. They had their own ideas of who a holy person is, right? And who a sinner is. (laughs) And as a result of that, they excluded people based on their own, their own rules. God didn't make up the rules. They did. 
they did but jesus hung out with pharisees prostitutes illiterates noblemen kings do you understand he hung out with everyone because he understood that um you don't know you don't you don't know where the next idea is going to come from and this is basically bringing it into our own every you know today's world you might say oh i'm only going to um read this this kind of books i'm only going to hang out with this kind of people you don't know because the truth of the matter is every human being can teach you something even a two day old baby can teach you something but when we make our own rules and decide oh these are you know these are the kind of people that i can only learn from you've basically excluded yourself from learning right you've excluded yourself so jesus didn't he didn't restrict himself he hung out with all sorts of people because he knew that anyone can basically light can come from anywhere so he understood that he understood that he was not rigid he was very flexible another example of jesus's flexibility was he clearly stated right that he had been sent to the israelites right he said i have come to save the lost sheep of israel clearly the Syrophoenician woman came up and said, you have to heal my daughter, okay? She's vexed with the devil. She's possessed by a demon. Come and heal her. In that exchange, I mean, Jesus could literally have chased her away. He had every right to because her time had not yet come. Her time had not yet come. There was, there was coming a time when Gentiles would have access to the kingdom, but it wasn't yet time. But he was flexible enough to, he, he basically had that exchange with her and realized that this woman is ahead of her time. Do you understand? The same thing with the centurion. He said, I have never seen this kind of faith. If the moment they came to him and said, please come and heal, um, help the centurion. As soon as he heard that the centurion was a Roman, if he was so fixed in his thinking, I said, Please, 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 please. <laughs> what do you mean? Just, I beg, you're not Israelites. You're not a Jew. I've not been sent to you. And he would have dismissed him. But by interacting, by having an open mind for long enough, he realized that he had the greatest faith that he had ever seen, even much more than the people that he had sent him to, that God has sent him to. Do you understand that? So Jesus was flexible. He was open-minded. He was not fixed he was not fixed in his ideas. He was open-minded. He was open-minded. And that was another secret of his mind-blowing success. That was another secret. And because let me let me even take it to another level. Because he was open-minded, he could relate with anyone and everyone. Right? You might say, oh, but the Pharisees, there were some Pharisees and doctors of the law that came to jesus that sat at his feet and learned from him so it wasn't all the pharisees that were like resisting him some came to him and the reason they could do that was because they knew that he was open-minded that he would not exclude anybody so he opened up to everybody all right another way of saying it is be open to new ideas don't think that because this is the way you've always done it that that is the way it should always be done Okay, so that was the second secret of Jesus's success. The third one, we're going all the way to 10, so stick with me. The third one is Jesus was a big picture thinker. 
So Jesus always thought in terms of the big picture. He understood that the purpose of God was bigger and greater than he was, right? He didn't go around thinking, oh, I'm the man. I, you know, I'm the most important thing that's ever happened to this world, which he was. <laughs> in actual fact, it was the most important thing that had happened to the entire world and the entire human race. But he didn't go around behaving like that. I'll give you an example. After he came out of the wilderness and he was tempted and he overcame Satan, it was time now for him to be baptized. When he went to John the Baptist, even John the Baptist was like, eh? You are coming to me to be baptized. Ah, no, I can't baptize you. Mm, no, you are I'm not even worthy to carry your sandals. And you're telling me that I should come and baptize you. John wasn't lying. And Jesus knew who he was. So he knew that John was telling the truth. That he was far greater than John the Baptist. But Jesus said to fulfill all righteousness, meaning this needs to be done. Why? Because it is part of a bigger process, a process that is way bigger than me, than just my own ego or pride or whatever it is. And as a result of that, he humbled himself and he submitted to the process to John, not because he was less than John, right? That was clear that he wasn't, but he understood that for the greater good, this is, this is something that I need to do. This is something that I need to do. All right. So he did not go around with an overinflated ego, overinflated ego, where people are actually supposed to sort of bend a little bit for the greater good, for the good of the department. They say, no, it has to be done this way or whatever it is. No, that person can't come and do a presentation. Who are they? You know, they are not managerial level. So how can we allow them to come and do these kind of ideas is only coming out of a place of an overinflated ego. All right. That is all it was. So Jesus understood, and this is the principle that the sum, the sum total of the whole is greater than its parts, right? The sum total of, of the whole is greater than its parts. So John had been appointed as a forerunner to prepare the way. So John had a part to play appointed by God. So if Jesus had said, I'm greater than you, how can you come and baptize me? He would have dislodged the whole process that God carefully put in place. Right. But he understood that the sum total, the, the full thing, the full picture is greater than one small person. Another way you can also apply this success principle in your life is if there is someone who wants to become a God unto you, someone who keeps acting as if without them, you are nothing. If I walk out of your life or if I take this job away from you, you are dead, you are, you are destroyed. Listen, you have to keep reminding yourself that the whole is greater than the parts. So there's not one person in your life that should be able to threaten you and say that if I, if, if I remove this thing from your life, you're finished. It's not possible because God carefully put your life together, right? And not one person can destroy your life because that is one small part compared to the full picture of your life. So Jesus understood that he understood that. And that's one of the reasons why he was super successful. Now, number four. Number four, Jesus did not cut corners. Jesus committed to excellence and he practiced delayed gratification. All right. 
he didn't cut corners. So he knew clearly who he was and what God had called him to do and to be, right? But on two, did you know that on two occasions, Jesus could have taken a shortcut? The first occasion was when Satan tempted him. So Satan basically looked at him and said, Oh, listen, look at all the kingdoms. And he said, you know, in the flash, in the spirit realm, he, he showed him all the kingdoms and he really did have those things in his control. So he talked about money, power, and all those things. And Satan said, I can give all this to you. Just bow down and worship him, worship me. Now, that was a very, very simple shortcut that Jesus could have taken. After all, he came back to take the kingdoms of the world from Satan. And Jesus, Satan was basically saying, listen, you don't have to go through all of this, all the resistance, all of the, you know, the pain and everything in the crucifixion when I can just hand it to you. But Jesus knew the cost of that shortcut. So he did not take shortcuts. He didn't take it. He's like, listen, thank you, but no thanks. I am going to go the way I'm supposed to go. I will possess my soul in patience. I will stick with it and I will learn obedience by the things that I will be exposed to, which is what the Bible says. So he basically just rebuked it and said, get out of here. I'm not doing that. The second time that Jesus was offered a shortcut was after he had, I think he had fed um, the 5,000. The Bible says that they got together and they wanted to go and force him or take him to go and make him king, right? So they wanted to go and exactly the same thing that he had come to do. He's, he's now referred to as a king of kings. So they wanted to take him, make him king, and then maybe hastily gather an army or something to go and overthrow the Romans. But Jesus said, no. Nope, nope, nope. That is not the blueprint of my life. That is not how it's going to happen. It would have been tempting, right, to become king or to collect all the kingdoms of the world by bowing down to Satan. But he understood that shortcuts in the end end up being the long cut. Someone said cheap is expensive. I read that recently and I found it so intriguing. Said cheap is expensive. So if you want to go for something because it's cheap and you think, oh, at the end of the day, it's going to cost you more. So Jesus understood that and it was a success principle. He did not cut corners. He practiced delayed gratification. He thought, I really want this thing, but if I cut corners or if I don't do it properly, it's going to cost me in the long run. And he chose to, you know, to say, no, I'm not going to do it that way and go and do it the proper way. Number five, number five, the fifth success principle of Jesus's life is rejection and or actually rejection or acceptance by people did not shape his identity. So Jesus never allowed anything anybody say to shape his identity, whether it was acceptance, like, oh, you are this, you are that. So, okay. Or it was rejection, like you are the you are Belial, you are the devil himself. He would just shrug it off, right? They called him also, they called him the devil. Some said they called him the bastard, but he continued to affirm who he was. Now, this one has the potential of setting you free, honestly. It's something called the fear of man, 
And what is the fear of man? Where you have hinged your identity, who you are, on the opinions of men. And we all know that the opinions of men is like shifting sand. One day they will say, oh, son of David. The next day they will say, crucify him. So Bible says that Jesus never committed himself to people. The Bible clearly states that. Actually, said he he did not commit himself to them. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because if they're saying, oh, Hosanna in the highest, you know, the king that is to come and you to go and ride on and say, oh, yes, that's who I am. And you take that opinion. What happens the next day when they say crucify him? You would be crushed. That's what would happen. And that is what a lot of us struggle with. When things are going really well and the boss is raining praises on you and you have hinged your entire identity on what he's saying, if he changes his mind, which he most likely will, what will now happen? You collapse and you crumble. Why? Because you have allowed his words or their words to shape your identity. The only person's words that you should allow shape your identity is God. It is only who God says you are that you are that you are. I think it was Kenneth Copeland that I heard say this, right? He said he never reads anything that is written about him in the print. So this was years ago that I heard this, so like newspaper. So I, I'm guessing this includes social media nowadays, right? He said he never reads it good or bad. He said he never reads it. He never reads it because the people that are hailing you today, the day is coming <laughs> when they will say crucify me. So if you keep accepting, right, the accolades of men and you are hinging your identity on that person's words, when they turn their back on you, and I'm not even talking about like an enemy between husband and wife as well. So when things are good and your husband is just, you know, you're so beautiful, you're so lovely, and you have hinged your identity on who your husband is saying you are. What happens when you guys have a fight or there's conflict and for some reason it says something out of turn and he calls you something, that thing will land as in it will land well and it will just like scatter the person. Why? Because you have hinged your identity on a human being, which is not and never will be advisable. So he said he never reads anything positive or negative. He doesn't read it. Because if I'm starting to enjoy the positive, it makes it even more difficult when they turn against you. All right? Isn't it the people that are closest to us that hurt us the most? Why? Because you value them. If a stranger is just passing and says something, you're like, who is this one? And then you walk off. But if your husband or your wife or your mother or someone that is dear to you say something, it cuts deep. Why? Because you have valued them. So Jesus did not commit himself to human beings. He did not commit himself to anyone. Rejection or acceptance by people did not shape his identity. His identity was only framed by who God said he was. All right. He was betrayed. Imagine if Jesus had hinged his self-esteem or self-worth on Peter or the other disciples, all 12 of them, they all left him. Right? If they didn't kill him, he would have committed suicide. Like, ah, this is so hopeless. Just kill me now. <laughs> right? They, if he had hinged his identity on those guys, after they scattered, like, eh, you mean 
these people that I did this, I did this, I did this, they just scattered like that. But Jesus never committed himself. Right? I was like, okay, he has nothing to do with me. If you behave that way, it is your choice to behave that way. It is not a reflection on me at all. All right? I know who I am. If you choose to behave this way, that is who you are choosing to be. So that is a very important secret of Jesus. Right? Now, the next one, the next one, um, number six is that Jesus put the well-being of people above popularity. Now, you will be probably recognize this and you will see this one throughout his journey, throughout his journey. So one example that I'm going to say, so basically what I'm trying to say is Jesus had compassion for people. He put people above rules. He put people above opinions of people of, of other people. He just had compassion. If he saw somebody in trouble and they said, no, you're not supposed to help that kind of person. He didn't care. He just went and helped them anyway. In fact, let me share a story here. So my daughter came to me, you know, we're just in like, before she went to school, I think it was yesterday or, or day before yesterday. And she said, I think God just told me off, you know, I said, why, what did you do? <laughs> so she said that yesterday, the day before that she was walking to the station and one of those like guys that, that come up to you and they ask for money and you know, well, did you say, sorry, I don't have money. Yeah? Anyway, <laughs> so she it's one of those guys just said, hey, well, actually, I shouldn't say one of these guys because I don't think the guy was dressed like he was homeless. He just basically walked up to her, right? She didn't say that he looked homeless or anything. He just walked up to her and said, please, do you have 70p? Do you have 70p? And she obviously having the understanding that uh, if people come up to you, they probably want to go and buy drugs or something, something like that. So she was like, no, 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 I don't. Sorry. Which is like the standard reply. You know, people governments will even advise that don't give people money uh because they might go and buy etc so she followed that rule that you are not really supposed to give money to somebody like that so she said no i don't have it when she got to where she would take her her bus to school she checked what she had with her and she realized that she had exactly 70p she was like oh is god saying something but she dismissed it and just left she was like ah oh, I have ex why why did they ask for 70p and when i check what i have i have exactly 70p all right cash as in that's what she had in her wallet she had 70p but anyway so she went to school came back the following morning she was getting ready for school and she was listening to a sermon and the the whoever the preacher was i didn't even ask her was saying you know that you should be open and you should be flexible that when people ask you for help you should help them. You should help them. So she posted and she was like, so she, the incident came back to her mind. So she posted the, the video or YouTube or whatever it is and said, Oh, is that me? Was God, is God trying to say that I should have helped that person? She was now, she now dismissed it and said, but I don't even know what it was going to use it for. Maybe you'd have used it for drugs. Then she pressed play. And the next words out of the man's mouth was, even if you don't know what they're going to use it for. Can you imagine? That was obviously God speaking to her. 
Because how do you arrange that? That's not a coincidence. So she now said, oh, it's true. Even if I don't know what I'm going to use it for, even if the rules say I should not help this person, she said the 70p in her hands was actually meant for that man. And you don't know, maybe he literally, you know, had left his wallet at home because she was heading towards the station. Maybe he left his wallet and he only needed 70p to complete his journey to London or something. She did not know. She just assumed based on what we have been taught that they want to buy drugs so don't give them money do you understand that right and and i said don't worry okay it's fine another opportunity will come for you to be able to help someone so that's what i'm saying jesus was like that there was a woman in fact he healed on the sabbath many times at least i can remember two or three occasions where the law and the rule said you're not supposed to help this person but Bible says compassion moved him to go and help them regardless of what the rule said. So one of the secrets of Jesus' success was he put people above rules. He put people. So is it going to help this person? Yes. Will somebody be unhappy because I'm not doing it the way I'm supposed to be doing it? Yes. Okay. Which is better? Helping somebody. I'm going to choose and to help this person and I don't care whether somebody gets upset. That was how Jesus lived his life. So basically to, to summarize that you have to approach life and ask continually, is this going to help people? Is this bringing value to the life of people? If there are people that will be unhappy or upset with you for doing what you believe in your heart will help people, you have to be willing to say, right, I may be unpopular with these people, but I know that it's going to help somebody lift them out of whatever it is they're going through. So I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. That was how Jesus lived his life. Okay. And that was a secret of his success. Because he had, he was led by compassion, not by, I want to be popular. Oh, if I do this, this person is going to be angry with me. No, he allowed compassion for people, human beings to lead him. Okay. So number seven, number seven, Jesus was super articulate. I mean, Jesus could talk. He basically won people over by his words. And I'm sure he practiced. I'm sure he practiced. He didn't come out of the womb just like, you know, speaking parables. He he operated by the wisdom of God. So I'm sure he learned, like, how am I supposed to speak? Quote and unquote, he went to like public speaking school. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Being able to speak is one of the highest um, secrets of success. Because if you don't know how to win people over to your side with your words, not by threats, you know, not by threatening, I'm going to sack you if you don't do your job by selling the vision, selling the vision to people. Then you can, there's, you know, there's a level of success that you're automatically exempted from. If you don't know how to speak, how to win people over, how to win people over to your side, using words that are, as the Bible says, seasoned with salt, seasoned with salt. Okay. So Jesus simply spoke and people flocked to him. All right. I'm sure he practiced it. He sat down, I'm sure he wrote sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't just sit down and then just speak. I'm sure he thought it through. He decided, okay, the Sermon on the Mount, this is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. And as a result of that, it was easy for people to identify with him. So being able to speak to people and win them over with your words, not with threats, not with 
I don't know, trying to bulldoze them into doing something, but selling a vision, being able to sell a vision to people with your words is a super secret of Jesus. So you are a parent. You want to teach your children to be organized. You can't listen. There will come a time when using threats will not work again. Right. When the child, as the child gets older, the threat of, I will do this, I will do this, it will, it will cease to work. But can you sell the vision? If you can sell the vision, you will not need threats, right? And that was what Jesus did. He literally learned how to communicate with people. He learned how to talk to people in a way that they would hear him. Okay? In a way that they would hear him. And that was why multitudes, multitudes followed him to a desert place. And they were there, I think, three days. They didn't even think about food. Jesus was a talker, man. As in, he could talk. <laughs> His words were sweet. And he learned to be that way. I, I believe that, you know, he's, he, he, Jesus was our model. So he's showing us that he trained himself to be able to speak. So being able to talk and communicate well is really not an option. You can't say, oh, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a speaker. But you're a leader. Every single person walking the face of the earth is a leader in some kind of capacity. And a leadership secret is being able to sell the vision, whether it is to your child or to your team at work or to your spouse or even to the stranger that is walking on the road where there's a conflict and you're able to win them over with a soft, gentle touch by your words. So Jesus was superbly articulate he knew how to talk his words were seasoned with salt okay meaning it was sweet jesus's words were sweet sweet to the soul there's a confession that i make actually and uh i say you know it's in proverbs it says that um my words are pleasant the words that i speak are pleasant to the ears and sweet to the soul it's there in the bible and i make it right that people want to listen to me and I practice, I practice being articulate. So I'm told Jesus also practiced, all right? You have to practice and make the confession that when people hear you, they're not repelled. Have you not been in somebody's presence that as soon as you start talking, you're like, who this? You just want to walk away, right? You have to say that your, your words are seasoned with salt, that when people hear you, they want to hear you, right? Okay, so that's number seven. Number eight. Number eight, the eighth secret or principle behind Jesus's wild success is that, listen to this one, he was comfortable receiving as well as giving. You know how people have sort of thought that, you know, you just give, 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 give. Some people are actually very uncomfortable with receiving, whether it's receiving help or whether it's receiving when people give them gifts, they are givers. They just want to give. But so is you I'm talking to. <laughs> if you're like that, is you in particular that I'm talking to. Okay. You have to be comfortable with receiving because the Bible says, whatsoever you give will return to good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Do you know why you should be comfortable with receiving? Because if you keep giving without receiving, God set a cycle. It was God that created that cycle. You give, he multiplies what you give back to you so that you have more to give. If you keep giving and you shut your mind off and you say, no, I, you know, I feel guilty about receiving help. I feel guilty about receiving gifts from people. What you are basically saying is that your, your supply will be limited. 
you will eventually run out. You will not go beyond that level of giving. If you want to go and be given at a higher level, then you need to open up to receive so that your, your storehouse can expand. Does that make sense? So Jesus was comfortable, very comfortable with receiving as well as giving. How do I know? The pe- the Bible says that there were people that supported Jesus's ministry, not with prayers or with money, as in money. People that gave into his ministry. Luke 8, 3 says, um, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. To support Jesus and his, so they gave money, they gave food, they gave clothing, they gave stuff to his ministry to support him and his disciples so that they could literally focus on doing the work of God. So he was very comfortable with receiving. So if you are one of those people that, you know, you love to give, God has put a grace upon you to give, give, give. And it's those kind of people that are usually very uncomfortable receiving. Let this break that mindset from you today. Because Jesus received. He received help. He received support. He received prayers. Paul constantly said, pray for me. He said, I want you to put together money and send it. Do you understand? You have to receive. Because if you don't receive and you constantly give, we are basically limiting how much you can give. So to expand your capacity so that you can give more, you have to be comfortable with receiving. So that was also a secret of his success. He was limitless because he kept opening himself up to receive more. As he was given, he received. And as a result of that, his multiplication was endless. Which brings me to number nine. So the ninth principle or secret behind Jesus's mind-blowing success is that Jesus multiplied his impact by training others. You know, this big man mentality, Shebi, you know that big man mentality. I'm the only one that knows how to do it. If anyone else tries to do it, in fact, you will rubbish it. Like you can't do it well. You can't do it well. No, 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 no. I'm the only one that can do it. The problem with that is you're only one person. (laughs) You are only one person. Jesus basically multiplied his impact so he got first of all the 12 together and he said he trained them he said go out and i think he got uh was he 120 again and he trained them and said go out the same spirit that is upon me is upon you heal the sick raise the dead da, 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 da. so he multiplied his impact by training others to do what he could do he trusted and believed in people enough to train them to do what he could do. So there was no big man, I'm the only one mentality with Jesus. That will restrict how much you can do. If you are the kind of person that feels like, oh, I don't want other people to do what I'm doing, you know, simply because you feel like they won't do it as well, even if they don't do it as well at first. Shebi, it's training. They will eventually get this. They may make mistakes. They, they might do it and you think, oh, this is, you know. And that thing, to be honest with you, is basically wanting to exercise control. You want to exert control over the whole situation. You want to exert control. So people that have um, 
a that have difficulty in letting stuff go where they always they're overloading themselves they are stressed they want to do everything by themselves it is basically there is something there that is saying listen if you release it you will lose control so you have to break that thing and say no if i release it i multiply if i release it i multiply if i train other people to do what i can do even if they don't get it right the first time i will multiply jesus sent the disciples out and there were times when he would somebody came and said your disciples could not do it and what did jesus do he said he came in he did it and then sent them off again i said go and do it so when they someone is struggling on your team don't say I've always said it, you know, you guys are just useless and you collect all of the responsibilities from them and you never let them hand in and you yourself are overloaded and it is making the work inefficient because you are the only person who knows how to do it. So everybody must wait until you are done. That is inefficient. Jesus multiplied his impact by training others. He trusted the God in them or the God that made them, even if say they're not born again, the God that created them and gave them an intelligent mind that listen, they're intelligent enough. They may stumble at the beginning, but certainly they can do it. It's about trust. Okay. And the final one, number 10 is Jesus, right? Didn't hold people's mistakes against them. Jesus was like the king of forgiveness and i'm ending with this one because it is very important offense is the only thing that the bible offense bitterness envy strife that the bible talks about clearly basically blocks us from accessing the mercy of god if you think about the the parable of the man who was forgiven his own debt so the king or the master forgave him and I think um, historians or whatever, they named a figure like $2 million or something. So the king came, he was owing the king like $2 million. The king said, okay, fine, you can't pay, I forgive you. I cleared the debt. He only, he hadn't taken 10 steps. He came out of the palace or the house and he saw another servant that owed him, I think it was something ridiculous, like $20. And he's that one too begged and said, I can't pay. Just give me time. I'm look, I will pay. And he didn't listen. He had that man put in jail until he could pay. And when the king or the master heard about what he did, guess what? His own mercy was revoked. The mercy that had been shown to him was revoked. It was like you too if you can't release somebody you too you are now automatically in bondage so forgiveness is not an option it is not even like oh it is good this is christianly it is all those things but forgiveness literally holds you sorry <laughs> not forgiveness unforgiveness holds you in bondage right you are literally shutting off the mercy of god from coming into your life because it's the same conduit it's the same pipe right the same, the mess, the pipe through which you receive, quote and unquote, I don't literally mean a pipe now, but the way you receive the flow of mercy towards you, right, is the flow of mercy towards other people. And if the pipe is clogged, it means you can't receive. You can't receive, right? Because you have held somebody else. It's clogged. The flow is clogged. And 
what we need to do in that case is just basically say, God, I receive the grace to forgive this person so that your flow of mercy and blessings can, you know, come into my life again. God is not withholding, but like, as I just explained, there is, there's a pipe. And if the pipe is clogged, no matter how much God wants to help you in that situation, he literally cannot because you have not says to the merciful, I will show mercy. So if you are not merciful and if you keep holding people's mistakes over their heads, you too literally cannot move forward. So you have to be the kind of person that just lets things go. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And that's why God says he gives us grace to be able to do it. It's not easy, but you can do it. And one of the ways I've taught this before on the podcast, one of the ways, one of the quickest ways to get out of unforgiveness or to release someone or to not hold somebody's mistake against them is to pray for them is to speak blessings into their lives while jesus was hanging on the cross said father forgive them for they know not what they do so he prayed for them right the people that had hurt him he prayed he prayed for peter having seen that peter was going to deny him did he get offended and said see this rubbish peter how dare you no he prayed and that was how he basically removed himself and offense and bitterness never found any root in him so that is one way to do it so jesus did not hold people's mistakes against them all right and as a result of that he continually walked on that open heavens because offense and the bible says where there's strife and envying and all those things says there's confusion and every evil work that's what the bible says it says there's confusion and every evil work where there's the root of bitterness and unforgiveness so the 10th secret of jesus of his widely phenomenal success is that he walked constantly in forgiveness he walked constantly in forgiveness. He was hooked up to the grace of God that allowed him to be able to for- forgive people and just say, oh, you don't know what you're doing. That's why you're behaving like that. He's, he's not, he's, you, don't, you literally don't know what you're doing. If your eyes were open to see this behavior that you're exhibiting, you wouldn't choose that. You wouldn't behave that way. And as a result of that, he was able to let people go. Okay. So those are the 10 secrets. Well, not so secret secrets <laughs> from the life of Jesus success principles that you can literally take and replicate, um, Jesus's success in your life. So like I do, when I, when I went through the list, I saw the ones that I was doing very well by the grace of God and the ones that I thought, okay, I need to go and work on those. Why? Because I want to be successful for me. Success is not an option. I don't want to live an average life when God has called me to the super abundant, supernatural life. So I have my own list by the grace of God that I'm going to work on. And so should you. Okay, that's me done. And I'll be back next week. Bye.